Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your host, Joshua Gray. Hello and welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Gray. Thanks for joining us. We've got a special episode for this episode of the Nine Line Podcast. Everybody likes celebrations. Everybody likes birthdays. And we've got one here in VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System coming up. It is the 10-year anniversary of this building that we are sitting in here recording this podcast today. And joining me to talk about kind of where we've been and how this this hospital that we're in came to be selected, I've got... uh, the, the big boss man himself, our executive director, Mr. Bill Karen, our chief of staff, Dr. Ramu Kamanduri, and our assistant director, Mr. John Stessel. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Thank you. Josh. You got Good to be here. Awesome. So we'll get right into it here. You know, Vegas, you know, has been a steadily growing city basically from the time it was incepted as a, a little place in the desert, right? For for people to come and gamble and do everything. And it is steadily and exponentially grown over those what almost hundred years ish since it really became a thing. Um, you know, in, in the '90s, we had all of our clinics here out in the community, um, and and you know the the decision process happened to go ahead and put a, an actual hospital here. So, for for those of you that were here during that time, um, what was kind of that that deciding factor that that it, it's now all of a sudden become a time to go ahead and put a hospital here instead of just having primary care clinics? And, and so I was here, you know, uh, back when, actually when I first got here in Halloween 1994, we were a few hundred employees in a small clinic on West Charleston. And then we were a joint venture at Nellis Air Force Base where we provided inpatient care to veterans and active duty independents. And as we grew bigger and bigger, the initial purpose was, our thought was we would open up a, a community living center and still stay at Nellis and maintain the rest of the hospital. But as we continue to grow, uh, Secretary Principi, Secretary of the VA, made a decision that we really need to build a full hospital. So that's when the whole uh, approach changed from building a community living center to an entire hospital. So it really started out as a small project grown into a hospital. So what, what was about the time frame for that then? Well, what happened is uh, so a lot of interesting things happened. Uh, Along the way, we had opened up a a clinic, a large, uh, complex, multi-specialty center at Martin Luther King and Owens, uh, the first Adelaide Guy building that was built there. And the building had some issues. It was to do all procedures, uh, a lot of ambulatory care, and then still maintain inpatient analysis. So that, that looked good. We thought we would pursue it. Unfortunately, we had some issues with the building. And so we had to suddenly relocate to 11 different sites. And so we ended up moving all over the valley. And what was the interesting kind of a blessing from that is we realized, wow, veterans really like having their primary care near where they're at. So we had a building right near Sunrise Hospital. So veterans like that. So we had Henderson, so all Northwest, Northeast. And we realized, hey, this makes a lot of sense. So that led to that idea of building primary care centers around the valley, the four giant ones that were built. And of course, eventually the new Purim Clinic and then at the same time to build a hospital. Okay, so we had uh, kind of a joint venture with Nellis, and then it became a, a centralized thing, and then it kind of exploded, and then we did we came here. 
Um, so what was patient care like then? How, how was it, how were we able to provide all of the things? Because as, as a place that is uh, geared towards serving veterans, a lot of our, our most of our, our, our patients are, are older um, and they require more care. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if, if you've got even just primary care clinics, there's only so much you can do in those spaces. So what was, what was it like trying to provide for all of these needs of this very special community while we didn't have a full-up hospital. And that was a real challenge for us because we had to rely, that was when we were in Vision 22, so we had to rely on transferring a lot of veterans to Southern California. So repeatedly veterans have to go to specialty care just because we didn't have it here. And that was before we had this modern technology and Video Connect and other ways to do it. So there was like veterans have to physically travel for specialty appointments to out of state, literally had to leave the state. So that was very high inconvenience for our veterans. Uh, we certainly we relied on using community services, but as you know, Las Vegas has always lacked community subspecialists. So you always ended up having to travel into out of state basically for the care. So uh, the decision gets made to build a new hospital. Uh, what goes through uh, your guys' mind then when you're, you, you finally found, great, we're gonna build a hospital and then well, now there's a lot of planning and stuff to do. So what's going through your mind when you finally find out we're going to centralize all of this stuff? Well, I think I was not here at the time, but I was at West Palm Beach a year or two after they opened. I think it's the it was the first new VA medical center built since West Palm in the early 90s. So the planning started in about 2004 where it was approved and you know, it took eight years basically to get open. But, you know, there's a whole process of acquiring land and going through that process of finding where they were. There were several sites they looked at around town. There was a group from central office that did it. In the old days, they had what they called resident engineers that worked out of D.C. that were assigned to work these projects, build the, all these facilities. And they had a whole crew of them because there's so much construction going on. They always had something going on at a medical center. And as West Palm Beach kind of finished, that started downsizing. So by the time they got to building this place, there wasn't much historical knowledge left. And with that, then they used a lot of older construction material uh, processes and design and, and uh, finishings that probably weren't the best choices at the time, but due to you know just that gap in VA history, you know, they were using the design specs and guides from the 80s. Um, so we were a couple of decades behind in that time. I came in July 4th of 2011, um, you know, and at that time I was the chief of EMS when I came here. So I fought some of the finishing battles of trying to get the tile in the restrooms changed out and those kind of things. And I was pretty much unsuccessful in a lot of that stuff because <laughs> it was just too late in the process. Um, but um, so back to the selection process, it came down to a few sites they finally looked at, which one was on Flamingo, kind of where the Westin Hotel is now, kind of by between, mm -hmm. right behind the link and uh, the Flamingo and that kind of right in that land. So pretty right much there, right downtown. Right downtown, okay. real close to that medical center district. And then what happened is, you know, the VA and federal government work hand in hand with, with land and the this land we're on now was owned by the Bureau of Land Management and um, so they decided that they would give us the land up here and at the time the economy was good you know it was growing at that time before it hit and UNLV had a commitment to build across the 215 
um, on their medical school and, and doing that. And then when the recession hit in 11, that really went away, leaving us out here kind of all by ourselves. Yeah, because it, it seems like, you know, to somebody who hasn't been here very long, um, this seems like if you don't understand what, how, where things started, this seems a very inconveniently cited location, right? Mm -hmm. So I've always kind of wondered, like, what went into that decision process to bring us out here? And some of it was, like John said, we looked at properties all. We were, all we did was drive around town. And so we looked at Sunset, right next to Sunset Station, right by the highway. We even looked at the mayor actually offered us the downtown railroad track area. But there were environmental issues with cleanup and stuff, so that was led led to this. So finally they said, well, you're close to Nellis. You're already a close partner of Nellis. Why not kind of be proximate, in a sense, build a hospital? Sure. And, you know, hospitals aren't exactly small things, right? You yeah. know, even, even the size of this building, you know, you have the building, but then you have all of the other stuff that goes with the campus also, right? You've got yeah. the, the parking and you've got the, the power plant and all of that other stuff. So I would imagine it was pretty hard to find a, a parcel of land that was really acceptable. So yeah. the uh, other important thing I want to point out to you, interesting is once a decision was made because the veterans love primary care near where they live, they said, we're going to build these giant primary care clinics. So you're going to more often go to a primary care clinic than to a specialty in a hospital. We thought, well, the hospital could be farther away because of Folks, you don't travel to your specialists all the time. More likely, you get a lot of your care close to where you live. What was kind of the the shape of the structure of of the hospital when when we got when when it first went down when it was first planned? Because I, from what I understand, the 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 building itself has also grown over time. Correct. Well, yeah. So the first thing built was the boiler plant, obviously, for the utilities and all that, and then the CLC was built, Building Five, which has never materialized into a CLC. But then that the original plan, I believe, was to get that occupied and actually get that up and running at that time as a CLC and then build the building one, which was finished 2011, late 11. We started moving in and starting to clean and get ready to activate for 12. And then the admin and the education building were added in 2015. It was originally part of the contract, it was taken out, and then at the end of building one, they had a bunch of money left over, so we were able to add it at the later point. So, so as we got closer to opening, you know, six months, three months, one month, what was, what was the mood like around, around the, the staff? It honestly was a real challenge because we got very little help from anybody else. So we had a group of service chiefs that were going from, just like everybody, we're going from a set of outpatient clinics to a 24-7 hospital inpatient, which um, some of us had experiences in those, some didn't, but we got very little help from the outside. So we were doing basically two different jobs. I was the chief of EMS and I was activating the hospital, you know, and every chief was doing the same thing. Um, so it was challenging. I don't think we had time to worry about it or really had time to even think if this was good or bad, to be honest. We were having activation meetings every week. We were knee deep in either your job or activation at that time. And um, so I think what we did really well was there was actually an activation team that really did it. I got to say a really good job of phasing in our moves, phasing in, you know, packing in the services, moving. I mean, they did a phenomenal job. So really that moving and they did most of it on the weekends. They would pack up on Friday, move on the weekends, unpack Monday, start clinic on Tuesday. Um, I think, you know, as they scrambled to find all these locations out in the community, I think bringing then everybody back into a new facility 
the thing we found was there, I don't want to say there was a lot of silos, but there was a lot of people not work, used to working with each other and changing that process of how our patient's going to flow. And now you got other services that are involved mm-hmm. in that. And we work through a lot of that, um, making sure, you know, doing walkthroughs with all the services involved and actually starting at the check-in desk and walking through how the patient's going to move and, and those kind of things because we did have, you know, a lot of services requesting the same positions and those kind of things. But, you know, it's an exciting time. Uh, for me mm-hmm. personally, I can say, you know, to activate a new hospital is much work as it was. I mean, it was really a great experience and it really felt like a huge accomplishment, I think, for those of us that worked through all that process and did that. And, you know, we had a great opening. We had, you know, kind of a phase in approach of how we activated the, the medical center. We started activating the primary care clinics mm-hmm. around town in late 2012, and we kind of did one each month. So we, mm-hmm. we finished those off. So we had six, seven months of those running. And then in July of, or August of 12, then we we dedicated the facility and we started opening the outpatient care on the first floor. And we just kind of worked our way up as we went. Um, but I, I was excited about it. I I, think it yeah, I think and you feel like a kid with a new toy. Yeah. I think that everybody <laughs> yeah. is excited. And I think everyone feels like, at least to me, I mean, it was fine. I could have people around with me till 9, 10 at night. Mm-hmm. And they'd be here Saturdays and Sundays. They're excited, willing to be here seven days a week, knowing that this is bigger than them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, a lot of the folks I think feel pride in mm-hmm. having been involved in activation and building this on. Our phasing, I agree with John, was perfect. Phasing was done very well. You open the primary care clinics, make them succeed, give them enough time, and then slow and steady. One advantage, I think, for us is having the joint venture so we continue to do all the inpatient care. So some of the VAs have had to open up everything all at once, which is a, a different challenge. Mm-hmm. We did all our surgery at Nellis. So we were doing, our mental health was occurring at Nellis. We were doing all of that, at, and slowly as we move mental health, we fine. Then we open up same-day outpatient surgeries. Then we open up inpatient surgeries, because we had a hospital within five miles where we did other care, so that worked. So what I'm basically hearing is is there wasn't like a big staffing push to, to go and hire a whole bunch of people, or was there? Yeah, there was. Okay, I mean, because I, what was it like trying to integrate, you know, one, you've got to go and hire people, and, and nobody will ever accuse the federal hiring process of being fast, right? Um, you got to hire all of these people and then bring other people from, from other clinics and places at, at Nellis and out in the community and, and, and then integrate all of those people. Uh, you know, people are what make any venture go, right? So what what was it like trying to pull all of those people together? It wasn't as bad as you think it was. One, HR was still under the facility at the time, and we had the benefit of time. So we knew way ahead of time that we were opening, we needed these positions. So we were always hiring to staff the hospital. So they were in the clinics, they had probably had extra staffing because we were bringing all these people on. So when we activated, we were staffed. Um, I got when I got here. There were 650 employees. Now there's 3,300. I think um, I didn't see that as a problem. I don't remember any real staffing challenges at that mm-hmm. time. And even as the chief of EMS, I was getting employees really quick. I mean, I wasn't having the delays we see nowadays with bringing people on and the delays and and those things. So th- that piece really wasn't as bad as you would seem like now. Um, as we grow, I think the biggest challenge has been our growth, you know. So even when we opened the facility, we were five, I think, five years ahead of what they projected. Mm-hmm. And it, we have still haven't caught up to that, in my opinion. I think 
they underestimated the numbers of veterans they expected us to see. I think when we opened, we had 44,000 uniques. And um, I think that was projected for like 2024 or something, you know. So now we're at 70-some thousand. And, you know, so that's been the challenge. Great problem to have, but it's just a tremendous challenge here with the healthcare market and, and some of those things as we go on. But the initial hiring push, I don't think. No, I no, see yeah, it was, was you're building, yeah. we could bring higher people on, yeah. but the challenge is finding the expertise. So okay. I think you bring somebody new on and say, oh, by the way, you're going to start activating a facility. You're like, oh, I don't mm -hmm. know anything about that. So that part of it, other challenge really is when we're looking, even when we, we were talking about, like, you open 90 bed hospital, we're like, this is going to be way too small. I mean, now we look at the numbers. We could have a 180 bed hospital here on this campus and we would keep it full. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just, you know, obviously don't have the bed, so we're relying on the community. But the projections never met, as John said, what we were expecting. And nobody thought veterans would move in droves to southern Nevada. And part of it is, I think, the, the great, wonderful people we have here and, and the care that we provide. So, Mr. Karen, for you, you know, you weren't here during that initial push, no. um, but you got here shortly after it opened, you know, mm -hmm. probably probably close enough. You still got that new hospital smell as you yeah. go down the hallway. What was it like for you coming to a, a facility that in, in a lot of ways was, was still growing into its role? A couple things, and I got here June of 14, um, a couple things really uh, enticed me to come out here. Las Vegas is a unique city to start off with, um, unique unlike any other city in, in, on the planet, I would argue. Um, getting to know some of the leaders that were here, uh, John, certainly highly tenured in, in VA, VHA, uh, Dr. Comanduri, um, certainly all the time he had spent. So you had, you had this nice blend of people um, both highly experienced, uh, and I had activated a, a small community hospital um, in the private sector as well. So I had some of that experience. Um, actually, had a, an uncle who still lived out here, so it appealed to me on on many levels. And I remember interviewing and and um, driving from uh, I think I stayed at the Aliante. Must have been the Aliante. Driving to make sure I knew my route um, to come for the next day, and just seeing this place just standing up tall and proud with the neon lights and uh, the big emblem, the VA emblem on the front and just saying, wow, that's the real deal. That is a true blue, brand new uh, healthcare system that um, has swung its doors open and, and getting to take care of veterans in a, in a really, really rapidly growing healthcare market as, as Mr. Stelsel mentioned. So truly exciting for me. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about where we've been um, as far as healthcare and where we're going and looking at 10 years into the future. So stay right here. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Getting a flu shot helps us stay healthy so we don't miss out on what matters. Like that family movie night your daughter can't live without. Yeah, can't do that. Every year, millions of people in the U.S. get the flu. Especially now, no one has time to miss out on moments that matter. So get your flu shot. Find out more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. 
I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your host, Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, joined by Mr. Bill Karen, Dr. Ramu Kamanduri, and Mr. John Stessel. And we are talking about the 10-year anniversary of the opening of the North Las Vegas VA Medical Center, that wonderful, shining hospital up in the uh, up in the, the northeast of town that uh, most of our listeners probably come to for all of their care. So um, one thing I, I really kind of want to know, you know, we were talking in, in the last segment about just kind of the, the how it all happened, right? What I'd like to know from each of you, as you look back over the last 10 years, and I know, Mr. Karen, you you had a little break in there, um, but as you look back over the last 10 years for for each of you, um, what stands out the most to you about where we've been versus where we are now? And Mr. Karen, we'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, just the people. The, the When you have a, a smaller volume of employees that are so highly de- dedicated and then that just grows and grows and grows and now we see 3,200 plus uh, working for this healthcare system that, you know, a, a percentage of them, a good percentage of them are veterans and just to see that unwavering commitment to take care of our heroes that just um it just got magnified by the sheer volume and increase of people so that just that warms my heart every single day okay and and for me the the mission commitment that's there with our employees that's tremendous and it's always that's a great thing in the entire system i think we have the commitment to the mission but to me what i like what we where we were where we are now is that we've actually grown maturity as an organization and the complexity that we offer. You know, we do complex surgical care, complex medical care, so that we, the veterans can trust us for really the highest level of care. So hopefully we move toward to even, even more super complex care. I agree with both of them. I'll just use the example of the employees with the COVID pandemic and what they did to step up and get us through that and continually are as the months go by turn into years, it's been a, a great thing. And I, I think the other thing that's made that even a challenge is just the change in the VA in general. You know, like they say, nothing in the government ever makes things easier. And, and that, I believe that's a true statement for the most part. But, you know, the new acts they've entered, you know, when this place was planned, there wasn't the Mission Act with the time and distance things that are challenges for us now. And there's just been a lot of changes with how you get things done. and and everything seems to add times or clicks or, or things now and to really not let that bog you down and continue doing your day-to-day business and you know not losing sleep over the stuff we can't control has been a tremendous thing that I'd love to look at and the really the other thing is the employees willingness to learn and take on new things and really to step up and help in any situation you got a project you got 
anything you need done, there's always somebody to, to uh, count on. And the last thing I'll mention is being at seven other VAs, this facility's commitment to emergency management and disaster and the people that participated in that over these 10 years have been phenomenal. I've been at places where you can get anybody to play or practice or do anything, and that showed in our pandemic response plan. And, you know, all those years of practicing and Felix Acevedo and his commitment to emergency management, it's incredible. It, it almost gives me goosebumps sitting here thinking about what we did as a facility through that time. You know, and I, I think you may have uh, touched a little bit on, on what I'm about to ask, and I'll, I'll put this out here for, for all three of you. You know, uh, the, the, the VA Southern Nevada healthcare system and what we do isn't, isn't centered around a building, right? It's centered around the people that, that work here. Um, how have we kept a culture from each of your perspectives? Because Dr. K, you're on you're on the clinical side, and you know, Mr. Stessel, your background. You said you came here as EMS. So, um, what what does it take as you're growing and you're adding people and you're adding missions to keep that same culture uh, kind of at, at the front of your mind and not lose sight of it because you're you're you've got so many other things that you're now starting to do as you expand. You know, I think it's training, but the biggest piece always is communication. As you know, I think we've tried to communicate as openly and honestly as we could with everybody, and and really let the changes through. I think we've had a lot of em employees that had never worked in a hospital before. So going from a eight to four clinic, or you know, to a twenty four seven operations where it don't end at four, and you may get called after hours to do things. That that was a real change um, that I think we're still growing through and I think we're almost over that hump a little bit you know 10 time 10 years of a hospital is not a long time so we're still building culture we're still building you know infrastructure issues everybody thinks you got this brand new building you got no problems you know we I could tell you stories on and on about boiler plant and and things that we've gone through here with the facility and you know the support we've gotten from the visit and those things have just been tremendous so you know, it's really been a team effort and it's been growing leaders and it's been offering opportunities to people and, um, you know, a ton of upward mobility when we started growing and, and activating, you know, that now, you know, that kind of hits the wall after a while. So it's keeping people interested through leadership programs, VA Voices, and offering them opportunities to still grow and, and get prepared for future advancement. And, you know, and I think we've done a really great job at that. You know, I think we've had a great support from our, our veterans organizations, which really showed in was 2014 when the, the Phoenix crisis hit. You know, instead of jumping on the bandwagon bashing us, they came to us and said, what can we do to help, you know, and that, it was a, a relationship formed by the directors at the time, Ms. Duff and Bill and Peggy and everybody that's been here. Has, that's been a huge asset for us. And, and, you know, they're willing to share with us good and bad for letting us do that. But, you know, it's, it's always an ongoing learning process. And, and you've got to constantly hit that. You know, no matter what survey you take, communication's always up there. No matter, you know, it's hard to please everybody. But... I can say I've never been to a place that communicates like we do here. Um, you know, it's always a number one focus to us, how we're gonna roll this out, what's our communication plan, and then those things I think have really helped maintain that growth. And And I'm not gonna say it's been easy because there's been significant challenges along the way, but you know, you do the best you can with what you got sometimes. And luckily for us, that's been pretty positive for 
95% of the time um, as we've grown and you know with the challenge of trying to just meet our patient load with current staffing and and trying to keep that growth with the patient population with the staffing levels um, that there's been some rough years in there so um, but I think we've been real fortunate the last few years that you know we've been supported very well so so, Mr. Karen, you know, Vegas isn't isn't getting any smaller, no. uh, even though the lake might be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so from your perspective, as kind of the man at the top of the perch, um, what 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 does the next 10 years hold? Uh, I'd argue I'm, the, I'm at the bottom of the perch because really people at the top are the ones putting their hands on patients every single day, taking care of our, our veterans. My job is filter the noise, remove barriers, give them the tools to succeed, make sure we're pointed true north. So. John touched on this is the bigger we get communication becomes more and more challenging um, so when I think of the brass tacks and our cultural shift towards the future to make sure that we're um, we're finding a way to yes despite the bureaucracy it's it's the right care at the right time uh, let's get it done at the right place and certainly as good stewards of taxpayers for the right cost so those those efforts uh, are unwavering and the veteran is at the center of every decision that we make. Uh, and I think if we do that, keep that at the forefront of our mind and stay committed to that, we will never go wrong. Um, that, that's got to be foundational for us. The uh, spider web of communication, when you've got 3,200 plus employees, the foundation, the language, uh, the way we articulate uh, how we're going to get business done needs to have some consistency and some continuity so that things do bubble up and permeate across the organization to make sure that we're talking to one another. So I get um, pretty passionate almost to the point of goosebumps um, when it comes to daily management system, huddling, uh, communication, dialogue. It's a family here. You know, we're all colleagues. We spend a great, a great deal of our life, more than a third of our lives, um, working and, and spending time with one another. And we're not going to bring out the best and get the best to our veterans if we're not talking to one another and, and putting issues aside. It's not about managing people. It's about managing the commitments um, that we make to one another with the veteran at the center. That's, that's our future. So, Dr. K, uh, kind of the same question for you. You know, you you're the chief of staff here. You're you're in charge of the the actual clinical things. You still see patients. You're probably the one most connected here to the actual day to day seeing of patients. Um, what do you see our challenges as in, in the next ten years? As not only we continue to grow, but but how we deliver healthcare evolves from more in person to more more virtual and more distance means. Yeah, and to me, I think first, you know, as Tip O'Neill used to say, all healthcare is, you know, all, I mean, all politics is local, all healthcare is local. And Sam Walton, who started Walmart, always used to talk about how the main thing is the frontline interaction, not what the giant corporate house, right? The, not the multi-billion dollar company. What is that front end? And so for us, to me, all healthcare is local. We have to have that the direct interaction in each clinic. Every veteran that we see, are we getting them to the level of care that we can provide and do the max out that we can do for every every interaction? That's the critical thing. So that part we continue to do. The challenges for the next 10 years, really, we're in the most exciting, really a transformative age of medicine. We're going to see rapidly changing how care occurs. I'm hoping, you know, in the next decade or so, a lot less will occur in any kind of a hospital or clinic setting. We, we hope we can get enough technology into place where care is right where you're at home. Our veterans want the care near them. 
there's no reason that we would expect people to travel that much for healthcare within a decade. So hopefully we can get to the level where technology, but it's not the technology, you know, eventually we need that one-to-one -one human interaction. That, that occurs interacting with our veterans, whether it be by video, by telephone, whatever it is, that we still need the human contact. And that's critical, we maintain the human contact while we absolutely transform the entire, the way we deliver healthcare. It all comes down to people, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, sir, uh, gentlemen, oh, go but ahead, sir. I'd like to add on that. Sure. Just from the operations side in the next 10 years, we're looking at establishing a presence down in southern Vegas, Henderson area, that way bringing more specialty care down there, really to stop the community care, because we hear all the time from our veterans, they want care here. They don't want to go out in the community. You know, it's, it's rough out there in the community. You know, we try to meet our 30-day measures in that. Well, the community, you know, there's times you're looking at 90 to 120 days before you're getting an appointment. Um, so we want to make sure that we have radiology services. And like Ramu said, we want care closer to their home. And that really stresses the presence of something down south for us. So we're actually looking now, we got some contracts looking at, we're finalizing to find some space down south for a radiology center. And, you know, we can expand a lot of things down there. Uh, we've expanded eye clinics down to the south clinics that have been you know, packed ever since that we've opened. Um, PT is rolled out down there and in Pahrump and chiropractic in Pahrump. So, you know, we're really looking at gaining a larger presence even down south to bring that care that is eligible for community care just based on time and distance back into our system. Um, that's what they want. That's been made very clear to us. So we're going to hopefully in the next year or so have some of that available for us. So. That's a very, very exciting time to be yeah. here as we, we grow and look into the future. So, gentlemen, that's about all the time we have for, for the show for uh, for this one. Uh, so I just want to thank all of you for joining me and taking a look back and, and kind of remembering where we came from. It's always, it's always important to remember where you came from, right? So thank you very much. And uh, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>